Welcome to the Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast, where today we will be listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Brent Russell. Over the season of Lent, I am going to preach a series entitled Christus Victor. That's Latin for Christ is the Victor. Uh, and we're going to take a look, and I'm hoping that when we go through this, that you will have a better understanding of what Christ did. I'm hoping that you will have a better understanding of how Christ is at work in this world, a better understanding of what Christ wants to do in you, and a better understanding of what Christ wants to do for you. Let me give you just a brief uh, history, a theological lesson this morning. Some of you are going, I'm going to fall asleep for the next two minutes. Uh, if you can, fine. Uh, if you can't, uh, uh, just two minutes, uh, brief theological lesson. Um, we understand spiritual reality by metaphor, right? It's we compare what we can see and hear and touch to the unseen. And so when we talk about what Jesus did on the cross, we're talking about uh, metaphor. And so throughout history, there have been a number of metaphors to describe what Jesus did on the cross. The one that is, has been primary for the last three, four hundred years is a legal metaphor. And many of you will... will uh, will know it. It goes like this. We broke God's laws. The judge sentenced us to spiritual death, but Jesus came along and he took our death sentence. Jesus took our place. He paid our debt. He took our death, and we are given new life. And, uh, and this biblical metaphor describes the idea of justification. You'll read in the Bible this word justification. That's that's what that is describing. If, if you really want to impress people at, co uh, at coffee, you can talk about this metaphor. Uh, it's called the penal substitutionary doctrine of the atonement. Now, there's a mouthful, right? Bring that up a coffee next week, see where it gets you. Um, but the first thousand years of church history, there was another metaphor that was much more common. It was Christus Victor. Christ is the victor. This metaphor states that humanity was trapped by evil. It was held in the grip of death. It had been captured by sin. It had been enslaved by Satan, who was the prince of the power of the air. But Christ came, and he battled sin and Satan and death on the cross, and he was victorious over them, and through his life, and death and resurrection, he is Christ the victor, Christus victor. And, and seeing things through that metaphor, that paradigm, helps us in some ways. It, Christus victor is helpful to understand our role and the role of the church in the world. Uh, Robert Weber, who has now passed on but was a theological professor, uh, described the mission of the church as this. We're partnering with Christus victor to overthrow evil and reconcile and redeem all creation. That's what we're all about. That's what Jesus was about. When Paul was saying in, uh, about Jesus in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, this is what he said. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or, or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood 
shed on the cross to reconcile to himself all things. All things. All things. The mission of the church is far greater than evangelism, winning converts to Jesus. It's far greater than church growth or expansion. The mission of the church is to participate in the kingdom of God right now by, by partnering with Christus Victor to overthrow evil and reconcile and redeem all of creation. And your role in the workplace, your role wherever you find yourself this week, is more than just a, a place where you share Christ. Your workplace is a place where there is a battle uh, and there is good and there is evil and you are looking to come alongside and with the power of Christ reconcile all things in creation. We live in Perth and it's not just a place to reside but it's a place where Jesus is looking to reconcile all things to himself. And I believe that our vision as the people of God has to be expanded to you know, more than just filling a church or more than just evangelism and bringing people to know Jesus. Although those are, those are huge things, right? But all creation is groaning and we're reconciling all things. There's a lot of things that are happening in this world that need our prayer. And remember what the Bible says, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers? A lot of what the evil, what we see in the world, is not about the things that you see immediately, but it's about a spiritual battle going on. There are many challenges to partnering with Christus Victor, to overthrow evil and to reconcile and redeem all creation. There's a lot of challenges. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to talk about a number of those challenges. But uh, today, I'm going to talk about one particular challenge that I think that we as a church run into. I don't know if you've noticed, but the world is in a really weird state right now, right? There's a, there's a lot of stuff going on that just isn't right. Um, the question is why? And I've heard a lot of people try to figure that out. But the explanations usually fall short. Um, here's the issue. If the problem is evil, and we're trying to address the problem as something else, we're not going to get to where we want to be. But the idea of evil in our culture well, evil isn't one of those things where evil isn't one of those things where we believe in very strongly. Um, now, evil is in our culture, uh, and uh, the idea of evil is in our culture. I I remember, and some of you are old enough to remember this, when when George Bush was uh, uh, going into Iraq, uh, and he called you know Iraq and Iran the axes of evil. Remember that, some of you. Um, and then, of course, the militant Islamists were saying, well, no, the U.S. is the great Satan. In other words, they're the evil one. I find it really interesting that evil was on the other side of the ocean, right? Oh, it's, 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 it's over there someplace. Um, 
And uh, it's a problem. By saying it's on the other side of the ocean is that we distance ourselves from it. And my guess is that the closer you get to home, the more sanitized your thinking becomes about evil. Um, really easy to declare Russia and Putin as evil for what's happening in the Ukraine. People are declare, uh, quick to declare evil or is, as Israel or evil as Hamas, depending on, on how you're looking at it. We look at the conflicts around the world and it's easy to say, well, well that's evil. But uh, now when we get to this side of the, the ocean, there is a crisis of fentanyl overdoses in our country. Um, and when somebody dies of an overdose, you say, ah, oh, that's so sad. It is. Ah, oh, that's, that's too bad. We're very reluctant to say, that's evil. We have, uh, in our civilized manner, tried to hide evil. So in our society, the, the poor, the, the truly poor and the truly oppressed, the truly marginalized people are more or less hidden. I'm not saying the poor people are evil. Don't get me wrong. I'm saying that in one of the richest nations in the world, we try to pretend that in our country, kids are not going to bed hungry. Is that evil? Uh, and the way that evil is portrayed in our media, it, it trivializes it. So movies about vampires and demons, they trivialize evil, and in trivializing it, we become desensitized to it. So we no longer think in terms of good and evil. We sort of use terms like whole and broken, or healthy and dysfunctional. We believe that, well, nothing's really evil. Bad things are a product of our childhood, or our environment, or our DNA. We, we, we can't label anything as evil, except for the most heinous crimes. Because we don't call anything evil, we miss the opportunity for Christus Victor and to see the good. And we languish. Ah, we languish. Charles Dickens, in his book, Tale of the Two Cities, wrote this. And it describes us. He said, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, it was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going directly to heaven. We were all going directly the other way. We have this paradox where it seems like oh, good and bad, but we can't get a handle on either because we don't want to call good, good, and we don't want to call bad, bad, and evil, evil. We kind of languish in this time where there's a lot of good, there's a lot of bad, and the world's weird. What do you do with it? And uh, what's worse 
is that we live in a world that is a way of calling a lot of things good that aren't. Here's what Isaiah said. Whoa! Am I missing an Isaiah passage there? Probably. Isaiah 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and, and light for darkness, who put better, bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. When God says woe, he says, don't go there. But our culture has a way of going there regularly. I don't think that's so much the problem of the church so much as I think the trouble is is that we we don't want to call anything evil. Let's move a little closer to home. Statistically speaking, there is both sexual and physical child abuse going on in Perth. Is that evil? Well, of course it is. Does evil happen in families? way we hurt one another and dismiss one another and builds walls between each other and the damage we cause each other, that's evil. Although we tend not to put it in those terms, we just think, oh, it's not good. But calling it evil goes into a whole different level. And what surprised me over the years, I've been a Christian since I was four years old, right? I've been asking Jesus to work in my heart I want him to do an amazing job. I want to be uh, a man of God. I want to be holy. What surprised me over the years is how deep evil goes in my own heart. Those of you who know me and come alongside me, you'll think, oh, he's a good guy. And I am by this world's standards, and yet I don't always love well. And sometimes... I have the choice to love and the choice to be selfish, and I choose selfishness. I sometimes build self-protection walls so that I don't let people in. I don't minister out of where I should. I urge, I I fight the urges to be self-promoting or self-indulgent. And sometimes I win, and other times I don't. It would be great to say that that evil was out there somewhere. But I'm amazed at how deep evil seeps into our own hearts. Come with me to Matthew chapter 15. We were, you heard the whole passage uh, read. The definition of good and evil that had been warped in Jesus' day. The people of his day made up rules that had nothing to do with God's rules. And the big rules were what you could and couldn't eat. And how you ate it, it was evil to eat without washing your hands, for instance. Here's what Jesus says. Don't you see whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery. Sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. 
Jesus on his Sermon on the Mountain a little earlier said, you know, uh, if you hate somebody, it's equivalent to murder. He said, if you are lusting, yeah, you've committed adultery in your heart. He spoke out about manipulation and using others for as objects and they're dehuman, dehumanizing someone else. Here he's very clear. All the evil things come from the heart. Where does evil reside? That's the question. Where does evil reside? It resides in the heart. I'm not sure about you, but I haven't known somebody who's truly, truly evil. I've known people who evil has clipped the corner of their hearts, and I know it seems like some people evil runs straight through the center of their hearts. We have this peace in us that, you know, there's good, there's evil. I meet more people these days, though, that don't know the difference between good and evil, and it really messes with them. It really messes with their hearts, and, uh, and it defiles them and messes up their lives. The evil resides in our hearts. It also resides in the world. Evil can be systemic. Is it evil that 20% of the world consumes 80% of the goods? Well, whose fault is it? Some would say because we shop at Independent that, uh, that well, it's our fault, or it's Western civilization's fault, or it's corporations' fault, and, and some corporations are worse than others. But we live in systems and systems demand certain things. And you can't point to any one person in the system that says, oh, they're wrong, they're evil, they're, they're doing what's wrong, but the system itself takes no thought of God and runs on values that aren't helpful. And it ends up that just in the middle of the system, evil happens. Especially aware of that when we were in Cuba. Many of you live in systems like that every day. Hospital system, doing their best, right? But sometimes stuff happens that's not good, and it's nobody's fault. But our system means that people go untreated. Evil springs from the human heart. It springs from systems that take no thought of God. And there is one who is truly evil. There is one who roams to and fro, seeking whom he may devour, Satan. And he's looking to generate evil around us. Demonic activity is real. Spend a lot of time on this because it's important that you understand that there, where evil resides, the axis of evil runs through our heart, it runs through our systems that take no thought of God, it springs from Satan himself. But if you can't see evil, you can't fix it. We live in a world that tells us something different. Our world tells us that there's no such thing as the problem of evil. The problem is our DNA that's just warped a little. Or we're told that the problem is bad families. We're told the problem is lack of education, 
you just get parents more educated and that would solve a problem. If that is the root problem, then, then let's spend money on, on education. But the, we're told that our problem is our politicians and bad government. We're told that the problem is that we don't have enough money. Or we're told that we have too much money and the problem is capitalism. Or the problem is too much government interference. The problem is that the government is not doing enough. And the list could go on and on and on. You know what? All these factors are important. How we're governed makes a difference. Education makes a difference. Families and the families that you grew up in makes a difference. But they don't address the main problem. But you can see why people in our world and people outside of Christ don't want to talk about evil. After all, if you label something as evil, well, what do you do about it if you don't have Jesus? You can try to constrain it, and so we have people who are seen to be evil as incarcerated and try to mitigate their damage. You can try to legislate against it. Tobacco is evil. If you've ever seen somebody drive, die of lung cancer, you wouldn't say it's good. What do you do with a, a, a product that you naturally hate, but you have to learn to like, but when you learn to, to, learn to light it, like it, uh, uh, and then you learn to hate it because you can't seem to stop smoking it? Tobacco evil? Please hear me, I'm not saying the people who smoke are evil. That's not, that's not it. But we can't contain that one, so what do we do with the problem of evil? Well solution is to tax it, but you can't tax it too much or you'll promote smuggling. That's a whole different form of evil. So what do you do with evil? No real solution, is there? We can try to minimize it or contain it, but without Jesus, we can't do anything about it. But as humans, we're hardwired to try to do something, so we try to label it something else. So because, you know, if the problem of evil is lack of education, well, we'll we can do more education. If the problem of evil is bad government, well, we can, we can look for a better government. And we are, well, I want you to hear these words. Christ is victor. Christ is victor. The whole point of the cross is to triumph over evil. We do not have the power to effectively deal with evil ourselves. The best we could try to do is contain it. Don't let it run too far. But Jesus went further than that. He defeated it. Revelations 12, verse 9, says this. The great dragon, the ancient servant, called the devil or Satan, the one who, dis who deceiving the whole world was thrown down to the earth with his angels. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, it has come at last salvation and power the kingdom of God, and the authority of Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, and one, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have been defeated by him, by the blood of the Lamb, and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as they were afraid to die. 
They were defeated by the blood of the Lamb. That's Christus Victor. That's the one who destroys evil. Christ was victor over Satan. John chapter 16. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Christus Victor. Dear children, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Who's in you? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's Christus Victor. He's victor over evil. 1 John 5 verse 4 says this. says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith, our faith in what Jesus has done. Christus Victor in our hearts that have been infested by sin. Christus Victor in systems that take no thought of him. Christus Victor against the devil who is trying to destroy us. Our hearts where the axes of evil run straight through, Christ is conquered. The problem in our world is evil. And God is looking and has provided a way to overcome evil. Not in our own good, but in the power of the cross. The problem in our society right now is we don't believe in evil, so we can't address the problem. I'm hoping that in our church, that you start to say, oh yeah, I can see some things that, you know, I've called, well, just not good. Yeah, that, that's evil. Yeah. But I can't fight evil in my own power. That's, that's not me. Yeah, that's true. But we don't struggle against flesh and blood. We, we struggle against principalities and powers. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but divinely powerful for the destruction of strongholds. First thing to see Christus victor, Christ the victor, to see the problem of evil. Next week, I'm going to talk about Christus Victor and the problem that some of us have that we wonder, can he really overcome all the evil that's in the world? I'm going to look at that next week. I invite you to come back. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just set up the basis for this uh, series today. I'm asking, Lord, that you would speak grace and life into us Thank you for who you are. You are victorious and strong and wise. But sometimes, Lord, we forget about it. And we mislabel stuff. Help us to see what you've done on the cross. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week on Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast. Make sure to visit our website at asburyfmperth.com where you can subscribe and never miss a show. If you'd like this broadcast, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Asbury Free Methodist Church. Until next week, take care and God bless.